Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartlidgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Hi, I'm Rob Cartledge of Blessed Hope Chapel in Adelaide, South Australia. Uh, we'd like to welcome you to come to our church at 242 Bolero Lower Mitcham. Please come and fellowship with us there. So God will judge the church. Who believes that? I believe judgment will come upon the church and uh, I think it's going to come in, and it's been happening all throughout history. You know, if we look through even ancient Israel, Israel was continuously judged by uh, God throughout their, throughout their Old Testament history. And also uh, the church has been judged throughout time as well. And it comes in many ways. And, and a lot of the judgments on the church are not to judge and condemn the church, but to affect the church and bring the church back to its first love. That's what the judgments that occur on earth when God does something in the church. It's to bring us back to our first love, to get our hearts back right with God. It's never to condemn. Because uh, God is a righteous judge and he desires righteous people. And so I believe there's a judgment of God is coming. Let's go to our text, which is 1 Peter 4 verse 12. Now I'm going to read the entire passage because the scripture that uh, I was going to read was just... Uh, 1 Peter 3, 17 to 18. But if you don't read it in context with the rest, you can actually misunderstand the kind of judgment that Peter's referring to here. So we'll read it in context. So 4 verse 12 of 1 Peter. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is, is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And then verse 17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. So he's, he's relating the sufferings and the trials as, as judgments upon the Christians to perfect them and to bring them to righteousness and to help them to be a refined, purified, spotless, unblemished bride. So it says, for, for it is time the judgment to begin with the family of God. For it is time. And he's saying, then, it is time. Now, it, that's what's happening. And it begins with us. And what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So what he's saying is, these judgments are, are coming upon the Christians to perfect them and, and to align us with, with the will of God. And if, if these are painful trials to us now, what hope has the ungodly got? You know? So I believe the church is, is, has to get ready because God is going to allow stuff to happen to us. And, you know, for example, I was laying in bed this morning. I was just laying in bed. It was, you know, freezing cold outside. It was nice and cosy and warm inside, soft bed. And God started to speak to me saying, what if this was taken from you? If this cosy, warm bed was taken from you, what happens if you were left uncomfortable? If you were left cold, would you still follow me? You know, and I, I, I had to really, you know, that, because it was so uncomfortable, you know, you just love that feeling of a nice, cosy, warm bed. What happens if that's stripped from you? As we know, Paul says, you know, he, he was out in the cold many times. He went through terrible, terrible trials. So we've got, to, we've got to start questioning a lot 
of how we're going to be able to handle what is going to come. We've got to get ourselves, even in our comfort, to sort of get uncomfortable. Don't assume the comforts that we have now are always going to be there. Because the end, it says, there will be never a time as bad as what is about to come upon the earth. There has never been a time this bad in history. And I, I know my son studies history, and he's told me of some terrible, terrible times that have occurred in history of men. Repeatedly, over and over and over, every century, there's a scores of terrible atrocities and terrible times. But all of those pale compared to what is coming. You know, some people would call me a doomsday prophet talking like this, but I tell you now, it's the climate. It, it, it's, you can feel it. You can feel what is happening. You know, the more Ameri- Christians from America that speak with me, uh, the, the, the more they tell me of just what's happening over there, the trials and the tests that they're starting to get put into. And, and if you read of the Christians in China and, and, uh, and Russia and other places and just the terrible things that they're having to face on a daily basis. And I know we don't experience it, do we? We don't experience that here yet. But believe me, I believe it's going to come because it's, Jesus made clear it's going to come upon everyone who lives on the face of the earth. Everyone. That means not one of us will be exempt. Not one of us will be safe from that, this persecution and, and trial that's going to come upon us. So I'm, I'm getting called by God. I don't want to have to preach this stuff all the time, right? I would love to know that what I'm talking about would be 50 to 100 years away and then I could just focus on the love of God and, and all of the beautiful messages that, you know, will pump us up and make us feel really cosy as a Christian. Unfortunately, I can't. You know, God's put it on my heart. He, I, I say, God, what do we want me to preach about? Yesterday, I'm praying about it. I'm going to judge the church. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. All right, so I've got to go down that alley, uh, that line of, again... And what's my other message that's part three is waiting to come is get on the cross. So there's another message, get on the cross. So these messages are coming not because of, you know, I'm just, I'm I'm obsessed with this stuff, but because the urgency of what is coming upon the church. So God is going to judge the church. And it says this uh, back in verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What's going to be the outcome? And it says this in verse 18, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? If it's going to be difficult to get us into heaven, if it's going to be a tough road to get us into heaven, what hope of the ungodly out there, God? What hope have they got? There's only one hope, Jesus Christ. There is no other hope except Jesus Christ. I'm amazed at at, at what people believe these days. You know, they just think, oh, you're a good person, you go to heaven, and and yet they're atheists at the same time. But a family member dies, oh, they're in a better place. But that person was an atheist, and he doesn't even believe in a better place. Oh, yeah, well, if his suffering's ended now, he's in a better place. Really? My Bible doesn't say that. My Bible doesn't say that. So this is what we have to contend with, and and it's coming. And the reason it's coming upon the true church, it's well, firstly, it's going to come on the church. Anyone who professes to be a Christian, it's going to hit hit the lot, and it's going to do a, a quick refining of who the true Christians are. Because there's going to be, Jesus says, there's going to be a massive falling away. The great apostasy is going to take place. 2 Thessalonians, Paul talks about it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, or is it 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? I think it's 1 Thessalonians. I haven't read it for a little while, so my memory's faded on it. I'll quickly go there so we can clarify it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, no, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There it is. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says this, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy or report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you. 
in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion has occurred. Other translations say the apostasy. Other translations say a falling away. They all mean the same thing. It's a large mass of Christians turning from the faith prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now you know why I'm preaching this message, because if you don't want to fall away, hear my words, heed my words. We've got to get ready because it's going to be very tempting to fall away from Jesus. It's going to be so... You know, when you're really, 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 really hungry and and a beautiful meal is put in front of you, how tempting is that meal when you're starving? It's the most beautiful thing you, you could gaze upon, right? That's how tempting... This delusion is going to be. When Satan does this this massive uh, attack upon the church, he's going to make it so inviting to fall away. And all I'm telling you is whatever takes place, settle in your heart now that Jesus is Lord and that you're never going to turn from him, no matter what takes place, no matter what trial you go through, no matter what persecution, no matter what kind of torture, no matter what kind of thing they put upon you, don't give up the faith. And you know what? If you hold true to God, he who overcomes will inherit the kingdom of God. Those who endure to the end will be saved. So if you want salvation, we've got to be able to go through whatever God allows to happen on this earth and we've got to endure to the end to be saved. Right? This is a very different message to the once saved, always saved philosophy, isn't it? Come up the front if you want to receive salvation. I'm going to just pray a quick prayer for you. You're going to be saved and off you go. Have a great life. You know, but keep coming to church and, and putting money in the offering. That's the, that's the typical message today. Is anyone saying... Come up the front, bow down before God, repent of all your sin, give up everything that is sinful and don't return to it again and then you shall be saved. But then hold on to the faith, endure to the end to ensure your salvation. Is that the message you hear today? Is that the true message? It is. It absolutely is. <laughs> There's no other message. It's get down, repent, and bawl your eyes out. Weep before God because of the, the rebellion that you've lived in. Turn your heart. Give it to Jesus completely. Don't go back there again. And stay in this course for the rest of your life. And don't give up the faith. And don't give up the faith. And be devoted. Devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to a life of godliness and holiness. Read this word. Know it like the back of your hand. That's the true message. And that's not getting preached. Because modern preaching thinks, oh, that's demanding too much of someone. Hang on, but doesn't Jesus ask for your entire life? I think that's demanding everything, isn't it? Jesus demands our whole existence, everything to go to him. That means we should hold nothing dear to ourselves anymore. We should hand it all to him and completely, totally give it over to him. Amen? That's the true message and that's what I'm trying to preach and that's what I believe has got to get out there and got to impact the church. And I think if the church doesn't turn and preach this message, it's going to be judged big time. There are going to be some big name ministers for There's going to be some uh, people that are going to shock you when you hear who have been judged by God and kicked out of the ministry. Churches have been dissolved. And people who have been claiming Christianity their whole life are going to be abandoning the faith because it's just going to be too hard to stay the course. It's going to be too hard to endure for Jesus Christ through the worst times ever. And what hope have the pre-tribulation rapturists got? If they think they're going to be out of here and the worst times in history hit the earth and they're still here, what hope have they got to endure to the end? Their whole Christianity has been, I'm going to be gone before anything bad happens. That's been their Christianity for their whole life. That's what they believe. That's their hope. They base their hope on pre-tribulation rapture. The Bible doesn't teach it. 
You get an honest pre-tribulation teacher honestly say, and, and Joe Schimmel's had a few of the top pre-tribulation rapture uh, exponents in the world, will admit, yes, it's actually not in there word for word. We've made it there by grabbing here, there, and everywhere, pulling it together and creating a doctrine that does not exist in the Bible. But we believe it because we believe that's God's heart. So they want it to be true. You know, that's how cults begin. That's how Jehovah Witnesses became Jehovah Witnesses. They grabbed a few pet doctrines, they fed it all together, and they denied all the others. When I said fed, fed it all into the same place, and, and, and even though the scriptures don't say what they're saying, they twist them and distort them and make them say what they're saying. Same with Christian science, same with Mormons, actually the same with Islam. If you really study Islam and you study Mormonism, you'll find they're very alike. Both Joseph Smith and Muhammad believed that the church of Jesus Christ was going the wrong direction and that they were given the true revelation. And they came to deliver the true revelation, trumping the word of God. So look into it. You'll see there's some parallels, some very interesting parallels. Anyway, we better move along or I won't finish this. I'm still on the first screen. Okay. Throughout Old Testament history, we we read of God judging rebellious Israel. Don't we? If you read through the book of Judges, every 40 or so years... God will have to raise up another judge to come against the sin, the rampant sin that's going through, uh, through the house of Israel. Our Lord has not changed, has he? Does he change? Is he the same yesterday, today and forever? He hasn't changed. He watches over his people. He still watches us. He can still see us. We can't see the things he sees. He sees better than we see. He sees that he knows us better than we know ourselves. He watches over his people and allows certain events to occur so as to judge his people. And in, the, in this sense, the judgments are for the sake of getting them to return with their whole heart back to him. That's always, you hear all the prophets always say that he's doing this to Israel to get them to come back. Because sometimes, you know, uh, you know, like a naughty child needs a good smack every now and then. You know, and that smack hopefully gets them to return with all their heart to being righteous again. That's what with this modern thing of never smacking their children, that's why a lot of the kids today are rebellious. You know, so, but the Bible says, he who withholds the rod hates his child. And I won't go down that road. But he watches, that's why God made a big cushiony piece of muscle there on the backside, you know, for smacks. Uh, he watches over his people and he allows certain events to occur so as to judge his people. He allows certain events to occur and those events he uses to judge his people. There will be, however, a heavenly judgment. So keep in mind there is going to be a, 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 a judgment, and I want to talk about that if I can get to it today, um, of believers, that heavenly judgment where God will judge the church but in heaven as in it's everything's finished and he's going to, He's going, it's not, going to, it's not going to be a salvation issue. We're not going to be judged according to our salvation because he's going to uh, separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep will be on one side, the goats will be on the other in a sense. And he's going to judge the uh, Christians and believers as for what they have done. And their rewards will be determined at that judgment. Uh, however, the goats we know are going to a terrible place. There will be a heavenly judgment of believers and there are judgments which God brings upon us now for the purpose of perfecting us. It says in 1 Corinthians 11.32, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So it's grace to us. It's grace to us. How many people know, or how many of us here know, that it would be far better to endure the worst possible thing that can happen to a human on earth and it would be to go to hell. You try to imagine the worst way a person could uh, be hurt on earth. Does that compare with hell? Not even remotely, right? So 
if it takes the worst kind of thing to happen to you to get you saved, to get you into the kingdom of God, is that better than going to hell? I know Leonard Ravenhill said, they said he, uh, he said, if you could preach to a, I think it was this one, uh, if you could preach to a bunch of ministers from, you know, pastors from all around the world, what would you preach on? And he said, I'd preach on hell. He'd preach on hell. And the reason is, is because it's so little taught, so little grasped. You know, if we all fully grasped hell, if we could fully grasp the, the implications of what hell is, we would be very different Christians. And I keep, I always, I've been saying that for weeks now. We would be very different Christian people. We would talk to people differently. We would approach every situation a little differently. We'd probably weep in prayer a lot more. You know what I mean? Lately, as I've been going out, I've been standing in big crowds of people. And I've been, I've been asking God, how many people here are going to hell, Lord? In their current mindset. And I just keep hearing, I just keep hearing, I, 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 I'm assuming it's God and I believe it's God because I believe God speaks to me in those times. But it's always the answer is most of them. You know, most people are going to hell at the moment. So if God doesn't bring judgments soon, there could be a lot more going to hell than we would ever realise or could possibly comprehend. That's why he's coming. He's coming to discipline us so that we will not be condemned with the world. So that scripture, even though it was spoken, Paul said it to the Christians, that these judgments are for us so that we don't get condemned with the world. It's also the judgments come in the book of Revelation. We're told that he judges the, the nations and he says, but even still they don't repent. You know what I mean? They'd rather say... Uh, rocks fall on top of me to hide me from the face of him rather than repent. I'd rather get crushed by rocks than repent. Doesn't make sense, does it? The leaders of the nations would rather be crushed by rocks, buried alive, than repent to a holy God. You know what, personally? I think repenting is the most liberating thing you can do. It's the most wonderful thing. It's a privilege. It's a gift. It's, a, it's the most beautiful thing to come before God and say, Lord, forgive me for the way I've sinned and I don't want to sin that way anymore. Help me now by the power of the Holy Spirit to never sin that way again and help me to live for you with complete and total devotion. It's the most liberating thing you can do is to repent. But how many people out there are so proud they can't repent? They're just so proud. They can't repent. How long's it been? I'm going to ask, I don't want anyone to put their hand up, but how long's it been since you've repented? How long since you've repented? And if you can't remember the last time you repented, you're living in a state of unrepentance. Because I believe repentance is a daily act. It's a daily commitment to God. Amen? Amen. Mm. Okay, so we must prepare ourselves. We must prepare ourselves for judgment. For I believe that the church today is going to undergo a judgment that will send every false, lying, cheating, fake, coward, sin-bent, carnal Christian fleeing into the hands of Satan. And their love is going to grow cold. Their love is going to grow cold. Did Jesus say in Matthew 24, 9 to 10 that the love of most will grow cold? The church today is going to undergo a judgment. And every false, there's a lot of false Christians in churches. Every, there's a lot of lying Christians. There's a lot of cheating Christians. There's a lot of fake Christians, coward-like Christians, sin-bent lovers of sin and still think that they love God as well. And they're carnal Christians. That's the new word for them. You know, there's more carnal Christians today in the West than there are Christians now. Because, and again, it's because of one thing, false doctrine. You teach the people falsely, you get all these outcomes. If you don't teach the people correctly, if you don't tell them the truth about sin, if you don't tell them that they could lose their salvation, 
You get a false bunch of Christians. You get fake Christians. You get lying, cheating, sin bent, carnal Christians. Am I speaking the truth? I, I, I feel in the spirit, I sense in the spirit that what I'm saying is true. Christians have got to wake up. Preachers have got to wake up. They've got to stop lying to the people. They've got to stop teaching false doctrine. Stop teaching them that they're safe in their sin. Before that time, before the time of the end, God wills to send a great revival. This is the wonderful part of this message. There is going to be a move of the Spirit. However, the height and magnitude of that revival will be determined by the true church of Christ, by us. It's accordance in accordance with us and what we are prepared to lay down to see that God will be glorified at this time. Amen. God says in Joel 2.28 that before that time, before he, he, he describes the time of the end very, very clearly, nearly, you know, dead in line with the way Revelation describes the time of the end and other parts of the New Testament. And he says, before that time, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And that time is coming. It's going to be a time. It's going to be a greater time than even Pentecost at the time of the beginning of the church. And it's going to be the church's finest hour. But with that revival, of course, right following in behind it is going to be this terrible, terrible persecution that's going to break out. And I don't know how it's all going to play out. I don't know whether we're going to have a good few years of revival and then persecution, or as the revival happens, persecution happens. I've got a feeling that Satan has got the world so sewn up now with so many deceptive views and belief systems, and he's got all the world government all set up, and he's got all this new world order thing in place, and I believe he's going to try to stamp it out as it happens. You know, the best time to put out a fire is when it's small, isn't it? You know, you see a flame, put it out. See a flame, put it out. That's what he's sort of doing, or he's going to want to do. But what we've got to do, we've got to fan the flame real quick. And that means we've got to be in prayer. We've got to make sure the fire gets going and gets to a point where he can't put it out. Amen. And that's why it's going to be determined by the true church of Christ. If the church repents and accepts responsibility for the decay of the nations, God will pour out his spirit. What I'm saying there is the decay that we see in the nations, the problems we see in the world today are a reflection of the church, the church's fault. The biggest decline in Christianity, the biggest decay of the modern world occurred in the 20th century, and it occurred from around the 50s onwards. And it occurred when the church started to accept false doctrine. And it slowly declined. Itching ear preachers rose up all over the earth preaching false doctrine. And people lapped it up. They were itching ear uh, listeners. They wanted to hear that preaching. You know, most preachers, most of those, those kinds of preachers are like Anthony Robbins, but they just add Jesus Christ to it. If you know who Anthony Robbins is, he's a motivational speaker. So they've got a motivational speaker up there and they throw a few biblical scriptures in there, they throw a few, you know, the name of Jesus here and God there and the Holy Spirit here. And you've got this motivational Christian speaker and he teaches lies, deceives the people. And, and then what we have is this decay in the church. We've got this declining uh, world around us. People so immoral in every form, immoral in every way, lying, cheating, hurting, killing, Raping, that's all gone escalated through the roof since the 50s to today. It's mind blowing the increase, absolutely mind blowing. You can't believe that could happen at such a great magnitude. And if the church repents and accepts that responsibility that it's the church's fault, why wasn't it happening at the level before 1950? Because the church didn't believe such lies back then, you know. There was terrible persecutions going on in countries where they had adopted atheism, listening to, you know, guys like Nietzsche and that God's been, is dead and buried, you know. You believe that sort of garbage, you're going to send the country into chaos, aren't you? 
And that's exactly what happened in co with communist countries. Okay. One thing and one thing alone keeps us from complete decay in this hour, and that's the church. The church keeps us from seeing it to complete decay. I believe if the church wasn't doing what it, it's, you know, the true church wasn't acting as it is at the moment, that we would have seen uh, this, this world gone a long time ago. So I think the only reason the world is propped up as it is is because of, of true Christians that are still praying and God's honouring their prayers. So we've got to be one of those churches that holds things together. And we've got to repent and get to the point that we can see things change in our community and God can honour honor this area with the revival that can see multitudes coming to know Jesus. Amen. I believe he's kept us small for the very purpose of keeping us humble and contrite to get us right. He's, he's, he's allowing a judgment to occur on us personally, keeping us small, keeping us humble. Because I'll tell you what, you can't get up with pride in a small church, can you? I don't feel any pride in, in standing up here in myself because I know that, you know, thousands of people don't care to come and listen to me preach. So that means I'm, I'm thinking, well, there's only one outcome to this is I've got to pray. I've got to seek God. I've got to change what's going on in here. I've got to get to, on God's good side in a sense. And we've all got to do the same thing. I've got to, my, my mission is to get you guys praying. But coming from, the Bible says, you know, if my people, not someone else's people, if his people, and are Christians his people? Absolutely. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So four conditions. Humbleness, and he's certainly achieving that in all of us here. To uh, seek his face, pray. Pray and seeking his face are uh, actually two different things. I'll go into that at another time. And I think I already have briefly gone over it once in a message a few months, about a month ago. But pray. Praying and seeking his face and turning from our wicked ways. See, if we are still living wicked lives and we're praying, does God hear that person? No. I've got a sermon that I'm, I'm still yet to do, uh, a part two of, which I only got through the first couple of screens. But the part two is, is all the scriptures that refer to prayers and how to get answers to prayers and why we don't get answers to prayers. And uh, I'm going to read them out because there's some really interesting points. you more than likely heard them, but it's good to hear them all again in, in context. So one thing, one thing alone keeps us from complete decay in this hour, and that's the church, the true church. Leonard Ravenhill said that. If it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit upon the earth in the true believers, the earth would be utterly laid waste a long time ago. That's my quote. <laughs> if, if we, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit in us, the church would be gone, and the, and the world would be gone. The earth would be gone a long time ago. The early church was married to poverty, prisons, persecutions. Did you get that? The early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecutions. Today, the church is married to prosperity, personality, and popularity. That's Leonard Raven again. I love how he always... Gets all the P's going there, you know, poverty, prisons, persecutions, prosperity, personality, popularity. And it's true though. It's absolutely true. That's what the church of today is. We are so far from early church, our early church fathers' example that it is sickening to consider. We are so far from it. Can we achieve it again though? Absolutely we can. Absolutely, we can be just like the early disciples. Actually, I, I would dare say that the early disciples would have said we didn't feel like we walked close enough to God. So if they felt that way, that means there was even room to move closer to God than even the early church fathers, forefathers, if that be possible. And I believe in this day we could move to the point where we could walk that close with God. Amen. Who wants to walk that close with God? Who would love to know that you could go walk out into the street and open your mouth and people would actually listen to you and not argue back with you and receive 
the word that comes out of your mouth? You know, if the power of God is on you, that's what it's promised to do. Peter spoke, Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost to 5,000 people or more, and they gave their hearts to Jesus there and then. Bang, yes, what, what can we do to be saved? They got saved straight away. Straight away. That power is promised to us as well. That the same Holy Spirit that moved in Peter can move in us too if we allow him. We have that power within us. And he's ready to pour out his spirit and do it again. Amen. As we all know from the Bible, God also tells us of a day when the world will be judged. And I'm going to read that. If we can turn there to Matthew 25, 31 to 34. And it says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And I'm going to stop there. Actually, I'm going to add one little bit. Go back up to verse 41. And then, then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And of course he talks about when I was hungry and thirsty and you gave me something to eat or you didn't give me something to eat. So he uses that analogy there. So it talks clearly of a day when the entire world will be judged. We would live a very different Christian life if we truly believe that we will be getting judged by a holy God. You know why I reckon most Christians don't live truly as Christians and why probably us a lot of the time don't live truly as Christians? is because we truly don't, like we believe it, we know it, but, but we push it out of our mind, we, we choose to forget about it. We choose to let it lapse in our memory for a little while until you hear another message like this or you might, might read it in the Word. But you know, in, even in your daily reading, you can just be trying to get through a heap of scripture and so you just read through it really quick and miss the impact of those words. You imagine what that verse would have been like with Jesus saying it to you when he would have read, um, spoken that out, just as we read there. Do you think that those disciples went away going, oh yeah, big deal? They went away going, there's going to be a judgment day, guys. And he's going to be judging us. First thing is make sure that you're not one of the goats. Make sure you're one of the, the lambs, one of the sheep that Jesus puts to his right. And he's going to welcome into his eternal kingdom. First, that's the first thing. Second thing is, is if you're on the right of Jesus, stay on the right side of Jesus. Do right things. Live a righteous life. Amen. Matthew 12, 36 to 37, it says, But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Every careless word. You know, the way when I read that, you know what I think? I'll, I'll continue the verse firstly. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. What you say. What I think about that is, because I've, I've used many careless words in my life, who hasn't? Does anyone here hasn't? We've all said things we shouldn't have said. Keep a short account with God. Repent often if you say something that you shouldn't have said. Uh, not directly to God, just in any situation. Always go in and repent. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for that. I know I spoke out of place or I shouldn't have said this or I shouldn't have said that. Do you know what I mean? Keep a short account with God as a Christian. That's what we're called to be like. Um, but also remember, by your words you'll be condemned if you say the wrong thing. There's been accounts of men 
Um, I can't say women because I haven't read any accounts of women in, in this reference, but I'm sure there would have been women who have been tested. They've been brought to the point of uh, getting killed for the faith and men have used their words to get out of it and says, no, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. And they've got out of that situation. So, um, and there was one account in the Fox's Book of Martyrs where he was getting tortured and, and just as the torturing began, the man says, no, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't want to be a follower of Jesus any longer. And he gave, and he gave up the faith there and then and he stood up and he had a heart attack and died. So his judgment was swift. And a woman in the crowd said, you know, just to ease the pain, just that little bit, he's now entered into eternal pain, eternal torment, because he rejected the Saviour. You know, if you can give up the faith with a word, as the Bible says, how can anyone teach once saved, always saved? If all it takes is a word to say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore, I give up the faith... How can anyone teach that once saved is always saved? That alone makes it clear, doesn't it? Do we have a decision? What they're trying to say is once saved, always saved. Once you've said yes to Jesus, this is their philosophy, is no matter what you do, you can't give up the faith. So if someone's desperate to not believe in Jesus anymore, they can't. They're once saved, always saved. That means they are, in that sense, condemned to be a follower of Jesus for the rest of their life. But that's not the truth. How can they teach that doctrine? I'm only going on about it, and I've gone on about it a lot over the years, is because that doctrine is the curse of Christianity. It is a shocking, shocking curse. It is going to send that many souls into into hell, and they're going to be screaming, I'm a Christian, falling all the way into it. And they'll be screaming, I'm a Christian, for the rest of eternity, and God will never hear them again because they believe the lie. And you know what? As much as it's the responsibility of the teachers who teach that garbage, it's also the responsibility of the person listening to pick up the Bible and find out if what they're saying is so. I remember right from the beginning, and I started going to churches that would teach that, because I've been to churches, I've sat in under ministries where they believe that. But the whole time I never believed it. Because... I couldn't see where they got it from. I couldn't see how it's, it doesn't say that because everything I, I hear says how you, know, you can lose your salvation. Jesus says, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this for you and that for you? And he'll say, get away from me, evil doers, for I never knew you. And you won't, he, they don't enter in because they don't do the will of God. So obeying the will of God is critical to salvation. Ecclesiastes 12.14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil, he's going to bring every deed into judgment. So every last thing we've ever done in secret or in public or wherever, it's all going to be brought out. Romans 14.12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us have to give an account. Have you got your account ready? Have you got your wording ready for that? Do you know what you're going to... If you were about to appear in a, in a, a court courtroom on, on, on earth, would you get some words ready if you knew you had to take the stand? Yeah, you'd get some words ready, wouldn't you? You'd start preparing for that, wouldn't you? Have you got your words ready for Jesus? I don't think, I don't think hardly any Christians are ready to be able to say, you know, give an account to God. But we're going to have to. And I don't want to be standing there going, uh, 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 can't get the words out. <laughs> start preparing. And you know why I say that is because as we start to get our account ready, it's very clear to see just how far short we are falling and how much we have to change so that we can give a good account to God. And don't let any of us get there and say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? I don't want to hear you say that as your account. Uh, yeah, don't start with that one. I'll be going, Nick, don't say that. No, Nick, you're not going to say that. If you want to, if, I can give you a hand with the wording if you like. All right. But you, you know what I mean by that. And, and you know the account now 
is uh, our lives is the account and we have to now clean it up, make it shine before God. We have to be living epistles. What's an epistle? It's a letter to the church. That's why we're called to be living epistles, living letters to the church, living letters to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the church and has an, it's his body. You know, so we have to be living epistles to the church of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? All right, so Hebrews 9, 27 to 28. Just as a man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So wait for him, endure for him. Whatever you have to go through, no matter how appetizing it is to turn away from Jesus, no matter how beautiful that presentation is that Satan puts before you, reject it. Reject it. Accept Jesus Christ and live for him alone. And here we go. Stamp the judgment on our eyeballs. This is a quote from Raven, who is the full quote. He said, but you know, if God should stamp eternity or even judgment on our eyeballs, or if you, you'd like on the fleshy table of our hearts, I'm quite convinced we'd be a very, very different tribe of people, God's people in the world today. If judgment was always before you, if the judgment, if the throne of God, you open your eyes and you can see the world, but you can see God's throne there and you can see the awaiting judgment that you're very, very rapidly heading towards. We're getting pulled towards that time rapidly, aren't we? Is time flying by? You know, it's already June. It's the 1st of June today, right? The year started, it seems like just a few days ago, we started this new year. It's already June. Time is flying. It's fleeting. We're here one day, we're gone the next. Our life is like a blade of grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. That time when we're going to stand before the throne is going to occur very, very quickly. And make sure you know that with every waking moment, every moment that you're awake and even asleep, keep the judgment throne of God before your eyes at all times and live for that. And if we did, we'd be a very different people today. We live too much in time. We're too earthbound. We're too earthbound. We're too caught up with things around us. We see as other men see. We think as other men think. We invest our time as the world invests it. We're supposed to be a different breed of people. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ needs a new revelation of the majesty of God. We're all going to stand one day, can you imagine it, at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the deeds done in the body. And this is the King of Kings, this is, and he's the judge of judges, and it's the tribunal of tribunals, and there's no court of appeal after it. The verdict is final. Do you know how many times I'm, I'm, I've sat there, I've prayed, and, I'm, and God puts into my mind the thought, imagine if you were separated from me for eternity in hell. Just try to imagine that. What would it be like? What would it be like to be trapped in hell? You're in there, you're burning, and you know it's the most excruciating situation you've ever been in, ever. And you know that the judgment's done, it's final, you're there, you cannot escape. As Leonard Ravenhill said, there's no exits. Hell has no exits. Judgment's done. You're there. That's it. End of story. This is it for the rest of eternity. Never, ever, ever see the light of day again. Never, ever know what love is again. Never, ever be able to eat again. Never be able to drink again. Never be able to share a good time with a friend again. Never be able to laugh again. Never be able to cry again. Never be able to do anything except sit in that horrible flame forever. Try to imagine yourself having 
lived a horrible life and, and, and God's rejected you and you're there and that's it. Try to imagine that. And I'll tell you what, you're going you're gonna to come into the arms of God and you're going to say, God, oh man, thank you so much for my salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for the death you died on that cross for me. Oh, it's going to radically transform your Christianity. And I would, I would have to say, it's one of those things that you should do at a regular time. Get in prayer and say, Lord, show me the revelation of this. Give me the full revelation of this. I believe if we all start praying for a full revelation of hell, we are going to become all the better for it. We're going to become so much better Christians. Amen? Because really, when, if, when you fully grasp the gravity of hell, you realize that what we're doing here right now and what this thing is here is the most important thing by far, way above. There's nothing even compares to anything else in the world. Nothing in the world has to offer. The best things that the world has to offer does not compare. Does not compare to the word of God. Does not compare to the salvation that is through Jesus Christ because everything that the world offers is going to drag you into hell. And what God has to offer is going to just take us to, into an eternal uh, beauty in heaven. It's going to be the most wonderful thing ever. Michael, stand up if you need to, just to stretch out, mate. You're right. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. No excuses. Sangster said, How shall I feel at the judgment if multitudes of missed opportunities pass before me in full review and all my excuses prove to be disguises of my cowardice and pride? When you see all the opportunities that you had to reach people with the gospel and let them all pass by you. No excuses in heaven. It's just you'll realise that that excuse was a disguise and we're really just cowards because we haven't taken the opportunity. I won't read any more because I think that's enough for now. All right, so let's pray, guys. All right, thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you that... uh, you uh, really moved upon me today and I, I really sense that this message had to get out there, had to be uh, spoken for all of our benefit and also the benefit of many around the world. And I pray that this message will get into the hands of many and it'll, it'll be a life-changing experience for them to hear and uh, it will help them to see the truth and live according to that truth in a way that they've never lived according to it before. May you pour out your spirit on us, Lord. May you help us as a church to become all that we're called to be. Help us to get serious. Every single one of us in this church, help us all to get so serious with the word uh, and that we will see uh, a revival and we'll also see ourselves getting through all the trials that will come upon the church and uh, that we'll enter into the eternal kingdom. And Lord, that's where we want to go. That's what it's all about, getting into the kingdom of God and bringing as many in with us as we can. So help us to become soul winners. Help us to become uh, prayer warriors. Help us to become uh, Bible moths. And uh, help us to just really become true Christians, uh, lovers of, of you and lovers of souls, Lord. And may we be sincere and true and, 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 uh, and not fake and, and deceptive in any way, shape or form. But uh, do a work in us, your people, and we humble ourselves before you and pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series. Uncovering Religion, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, Apologetics 101, Critical Doctrine and End Times. Feel free to check them out.